I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And check out their website as well, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to see morning, you. Good morning, Scott. Got all the shopping done? Everything ready? Ready to rock? <sighs> ready to roll here? Well, I have to give all the credit to my wife, to be, to be honest. But <laughs> there you go. I'm a lot better than last week when you asked me this question. I think, don't we all? That's for sure. All right, uh, time for, uh, time of year for giving. It mm-hmm. is, and uh, and this even is financially, financially of our own time, and you know, so many of whether you're as a listener, you're already retired or you're already involved in your community. In many ways, this time of year is when people even think about. What other giving options do we have and some of the tax planning strategies, I guess, around that as well. But I guess it all starts with that sort of next stage in your life for many people that do retire. And I see a lot of this with clients once they've retired and sort of start to immerse themselves into those activities. You know, we all have special talents. Mm -hmm. We all have special skills. And being able to bring those talents and skills to a volunteer organization or to be able to give back and, and use that. Uh, whether it's your wisdom, whether it's just sharing time with others, I think it adds a lot of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. I, there was an interesting quote by Winston Churchill, and he said, we make a living by what we get, and we make a life by what we give. Wow, and well so, said. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah, volunteering is something that's um, it, it's it pretty, it's booming, I guess, because the boomer generation is beginning to retire. Yeah. And um, so I think it's deeply rooted in our Canadian society. And people might say, I think that's what defines us as Canadians as well, is our willingness to volunteer. Hmm. And volunteering, just some tips on that. And, and as I've reflected on other people that have gone through the process and how they've ended up with their volunteering, you obviously need to choose a cause that you believe in. Yeah. And so most of us, and it sort of makes it, it's not work anymore. It's mm-hmm. just fun. And, and I think you get a lot more enjoyment out of it. And again, putting your lifetime of skills and experience to good use in an area is fantastic. So many areas where people um, have that special expertise where they can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you think about volunteering for an organization that complements your lifestyle and the, your personal interests, you know, what do you hope to achieve? What causes or issues are most important to you? Is it the environment? Is it homelessness? Is it health issues? There's all, mm-hmm. so many different areas. And what skills and experience do you want to share? And how much time do you have to give on a weekly or monthly basis, what, as it may be? And there's lots of ways to find out how to get started. Um, there's actually a website in uh, for Canada called uh, volunteer.ca. So mm-hmm. www.volunteer.ca. And you can go there and check out all different options that are available to you. Or you can contact a specific charity that mm. you've given to over the years and ask, you know, what, what, how your services might dovetail into the needs that they have as well. So Some of those <laughs> don't even have to be official. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at yeah. uh, some, some friends or family members that say need babysitting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just, there's no necessary glory in it, <laughs> but yeah. that's not why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You're helping out somebody that perhaps uh, can't find a sitter or find daycare. And uh, you're putting in one day or two days a week. And what a difference that makes for them financially, too. Mm -hmm. And you get the enjoyment of hanging out with your grandkids or friends or whatever it is. So, yeah, there's lots of type of volunteering and uh, lots of very organized type of volunteering. But there's also the ones just being a good Samaritan kind Mm -hmm. of volunteering. And people, I mean, a lot of people belong to clubs or organizations, whether, you know, you're involved in hockey or you're involved in sports. And people volunteer and give their time so often, whether it's on 
kids' sports teams or as part of the administration of a team mm-hmm. or as part of the, the back office of a, of, a, of a club or a soccer club or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So there are just so many ways to do it. And, um, and everybody has different capacity at different times in their lives. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no wrong amount or there's no, you know, too much or too little. Every, mm-hmm. every little bit helps. And um, so a lot of times focus comes back and questions that Don and I get are going to be about what kind of financial gifts or philanthropy can we consider? What are the options available to us? And, um, you know, it's obviously it's your gift and it's your choice. And, and we sort of want to help guide you through the different options that are available. And as you sort of filter that down through the funnel, you begin to kind of get a picture of which are the top two or three options that seem to make the most sense in based on what you're trying to achieve. And there's generally about eight ways that you can gift from a financial perspective that have certain tax implications associated with them and pros and cons. You can obviously, uh, number one would be to make a bequest to a charity in your will. So you've rewritten your you've rewritten your will to include a specific uh, organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, they <clears> might get a percentage. They might get a fixed dollar amount. Um, <clears throat> it could be divided up some, amongst a number of charities. So there's all kinds of options through your will. And um, so the only thing that we notice when you t- when you're filling out a, a benef- a charitable organization in your will, be very specific because a lot of times by the time you actually die. Sometimes charities change. Yeah. So, I mean, the big ones pretty much are going to stay uh, mm-hmm. as put, but some of the smaller ones, the name might change subtly. It might still be the same organization trying to accomplish the same thing, but they decided to redefine them, reposition it, and right. change the name. So suddenly, your 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 will could be held up, just trying to clarify who are you actually trying to give this money to. So a lot of times in the will, we'll see a clause that says or a um, a future. Um, future organization related to this organization that is deemed by my executor to be consistent with my wishes or something along that line Mm -hmm. where they've given enough flexibility to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. A good example of that may be a church. You're seeing some churches these days um, um, amalgamating. Mm -hmm. So it may be the same church, but uh, two churches became one church and the the one church lost its name. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if your will says that name of the church, then you may want to say, as Andy just mentioned, then I'll go with this particular type of church. Right. And it may go to the next one. Exactly. Right. And and enough latitude for your executor to be able to make that decision mm-hmm. if they feel it's in the in if it's similar enough or it benefits what your sure. initial intents were. Um, you can number two is you can establish what's called a donor advised fund. And this is offered through a, a charitable uh, public foundation. And so in this case, we'll talk a little bit more about this one too, but you, you would actually donate money or a lump sum of money and create uh, a fund in your family name. And you're going to advise a donor advised fund. You're going to advise on how that money can be invested. Number mm-hmm. one. And number two, you're also going to advise on how the income that that fund earns is going to be distributed and which charities are going to receive it. Sometimes it's the same charity every year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time, and one thing about uh, a you know, client who have set this up and they were um, sponsoring um, a post-secondary education in um, a country of their home, uh, original home in, mm-hmm. in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And every year her donor advised fund is able to distribute enough money to pay for basically three students to go to uh, high school cool. and, and graduate because yeah, there's great. costs associated with yeah. the, the, the public system down there. 
Um, <clears throat> number three is the, we call a charitable remainder trust. And in this case, you create a, uh, a trust and donate money to the trust. And the trust will continue to pay you an income from it. And then uh, at your death, the lump sum becomes the charity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number four is donating a life insurance policy. <clears throat> so in this case, you might have a policy that already exists. It could be a permanent policy that's paid up. Mm-hmm. You might be contemplating a new policy where the, um, uh, the proceeds will go to fund your favorite charity. And I have a, I know a client situation where we, um, uh, it was very important. Both the mother and father were heavily involved in their church and ongoing church projects. And so they wanted to make sure that the church would receive a portion of their estate, Mm -hmm. but they also wanted to look after their two daughters. And so they established a life insurance policy where the original capital, so the original principal, the face Mm -hmm. amount of the policy, in this case, I think it was $150,000, is going to go to the church at their death, but any cash value would be split equally between the two daughters. Mm -hmm. So there was sort of a win-win there where they had... They were overfunding the policy, putting right. extra money into it. Right. The idea is that that can grow tax sheltered mm-hmm. and come out tax free at death to uh, to the girls, right. and so also the estate receiving a lump sum uh, charitable receipt for the hundred and fifty thousand as well, mm-hmm. which will go a long way to offset any estate taxes that are owing. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five is establishing a charitable life annuity. So in this case, again, you're you're donating a lump sum to your chari- your charity of choice, and they would typically then turn around and buy a life annuity, and you would get a charitable donation for this um, based on a uh, a value or a present value of that contribution based on your mortality, how long you will live, and how many years and how old you are when mm-hmm. you set it up. So you'll receive a regular income in the form of an annuity from that lump sum of money plus a tax receipt up front. And uh, so that's often a, another interesting way to to create a legacy for uh, your charity as well. Um, a uh, bequest, you can bequest a registered plan or a life insurance policy. So a bequest of a registered plan might be your RIF or your RRSP. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in which case the money can go directly to your uh, charity of choice as a beneficiary designated under your RRSP or mm-hmm. under your RIF. And um, and that often makes sense if you're a widow or widower, so mm-hmm. you're on your own. And if you had a surviving spouse, typically you'd want to have that roll over on a tax-free basis to your surviving spouse. Right. <clears throat> and um, uh, But they are definitely uh, fairly common in terms of, of a way of people providing a donation to charity through their estate or at death. Uh, number seven is establishing a private foundation. So in this case, you would apply to the government to get a registered charity number, mm-hmm. and you would provide a, a lump sum payment into the foundation. And then you would, in much ways, many ways like the donor advised fund, you're going to then guide how the investments are made within the foundation. As a private foundation, you cannot operate any activities. So mm-hmm. basically, other than having the money invested, you can't engage in um and in using the capital for anything other than providing a donation to charities. And then each year, the foundation, uh, the private foundation would have to pay out a certain percentage to charities. And usually the minimum is about three and a half percent per year. 
So in many cases, people like this idea because it, it allows a, a long-term project to get funded mm-hmm. because the charity of choice, if it was its onset of a church or a specific building fund or ongoing maintenance of a, of a project, that they're going to know they're going to get regular money on it for X number of years to help fund that, and it helps in their planning as well. And the last one, number eight, which is uh, top of mind right now, is donating publicly listed securities. Mm -hmm. So if you own mutual funds, non-registered mutual funds, or individual stocks and shares, you can donate those shares or units of your mutual funds. And by doing so, you get a full tax receipt for the fair market value, the Mm -hmm. current value, Plus, you don't have to pay any tax on the capital gains. Mm-hmm. So let's say you decided to leave $1,000 to Canadian Cancer Society, and you donate $1,000 worth of shares mm-hmm. or mutual fund units. Any capital gain on that is wiped out. You don't right. have to worry about it. You get the full benefit of a $1,000 tax credit for your 2018 tax return. Trick is, it's got to be done by December 31st. And uh, we're running out of time. So if you're considering that, talk to your financial advisor right away and make sure you get that initiated. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. uh, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call. The number 905-529-7165. And check out the website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, talking about uh, markets, are they efficient? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're noticing in the last oh, probably three weeks at least now, it's been all over the map. Yeah. You know, you'll even start days, uh, it wasn't this week, two different days. How much does that have to do with politics? Uh, a fair the bit, day, actually. Yeah, yeah a fair yeah. bit in that. But uh, we had one day, I believe it was Monday this past week, where it was down like five or 600 points and ended up in the positive by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Then on Tuesday, it started up, went way down and... And I forget how it ended, but at the end of the day, it was up or down 700 points. And so you're getting this massive volatility. And you're thinking, okay, this price, does it reflect the true value of these stocks? Are the Mm. companies actually gyrating that much in value in the course of a day? And the answer, of course, is no. So markets are not efficient in the short run. Mm -hmm. In the long run, very much so. But in the short run, there's so much emotion and so many unknowns. The markets hate unknowns, too. You know, is the China and the U.S. going to finally agree on some tariff? Um, or are they going to finally have trade go back the way it was? Right. There's so many things that are going on. Are interest rates going to go up? What about employment? And there's so many different factors that they go into it. So in the short run, there's all sorts of volatility. So value is not the same as price. Mm-hmm. And this is what a, a value investor is. There's, there's two types of, there's two styles of investing. One's value and one's growth. And we're going to kind of go through those styles. Now, value has not been popular in the last five years. Growth has been all the story. Growth has way outperformed value. So the stocks such as Apple, um, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Google, they've done phenomenal. Those are not value companies. Those are growth companies because they haven't been around long enough to really have a value. They're not paying a dividend, a lot of those. So it's, they're more of a growth story. Where they're trying to find out what the present value of that company is if you take the future earnings and bring it backwards, mm-hmm. okay? Another, I guess, growth story would be a weed stock. 
they don't even have earnings yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't even know what they're worth, but I guess they went all the way up to like seven, like Canopy, for example, went to $75 or $6. And last time I checked, it was just over $40. Mm-hmm. Like that's huge volatility in, a, in the course of a, about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So a Nobel Prize winner, Robert Schiller, referred to the market efficiency as one of the most remarkable errors in the history of economic thought. Mm-hmm. Basically, and I remember going to economics back at McMaster in 1983 or four. And they're talking about how markets are efficient. They were wrong, okay? These are the profs saying, yes, they're very efficient and agreed with the long-term. Short run, they are all over the map. Later on, in 1985, later on in my securities, they said the markets are more of a random walk. They will go all over the place. They will eventually get to where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not by any... Um, value or real real common sense. There's a lot of emotion goes in there. So really, there's two types of risk people have when they invest. It's the, it's the risk that we know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, we understand that we don't know what the president of Royal Bank is thinking right now. Mm-hmm. We know that. But the risk that we don't know that we don't know, and that's the big risk. We don't even know what to ask. Okay, there's so many different things. And again, this is like going to a doctor without having the right questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And there's so much information that you shouldn't have to know this. And again, this is where a a true portfolio manager or pension fund manager, they know the good questions so they can get the right answers on those. So people, there's so many ways that basically people mess up in their portfolios. People have been known to herd, meaning... Oh, wow, look at the growth stocks. They're doing so well. I want to buy Apple stock now, too. It's at $200 a share. Well, currently it's about, I don't know, $170 some odd a share. It's, it's gone down dramatically, but people heard. They all jump on the bandwagon. And this is, again, weed stock was another good example of that. Um, people naively extrapolate past performance. I had a few clients talk about, wow, I think we should be in this particular area. Look how well it's doing. No, no, no. That's what it's done. There's a big difference. I don't know what it's doing. In fact, as of this next second, I don't know what it's doing. I know what it's done last second and the previous week. I don't know, have a clue what it's doing next week or even the next second. So do not extrapolate. You'll always get, you'll find yourself at the short end of the stick in those cases. Um, um, Investors are often very over-optimistic or overconfident. That's a killer. Overconfidence in the stock market is a, is a, is a guaranteed way to lose money. Um, and on the opposite end of that, they're too impatient and they panic. And so they get, extra, they get very exuberant at the wrong times, both neg- negatively and positively. So it was interesting. BlackRock, massive. They're one of the largest investment management companies in the world. They looked at the U.S. equity fund average. And if you look at all the mutual funds, they got 8% after fees. So the fees are all calculated in this 30-year average. If you went to sleep for 30 years, you got 8%. What do you think the average investor got in those exact same funds? Two. Wow. Are you reading these notes here? <laughs> it is exactly two. Is right? You are dead on. Two <laughs> percent. I think this stuff's just seeping in and it I don't is. even realize it. This is unbelievable. 15 years of our listening to yeah, us. It's I think just, that's what it is. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. But it's true. Two percent. That's, they, they may not even beat inflation. So mm. the average investor is getting a quarter of the return. And this is what always makes it kind of funny. It's, you look at it and you say, wow, what fees did they pay? It has nothing to do with fees. Mm. It's all about they're terrible investors. Yeah. And this is right in our DNA. We are, not, we are not geared or wired to make money. We are wired to lose money. 
That just reminds me, I got an email yesterday and I have to read it to you. And so uh, a good client and sent this. Um, Given the current economic climate and Canada in the middle, uh, wonder how that affects things over the short term and midterm. Should we be changing anything? Yeah. So, a perfect case of thought. Yeah. They never would send that when it was doing really well. That's true. Yeah. Is yeah. it certain clients that, depending on where they are in their life, that ask those questions? Is, are, is it ones that are closer to retirement or in retirement that are more concerned? I think people are middle age. I know. Can't th- be bothered. It's, it's well, or even younger people. Yeah, I, mean, are they, are I would. They s- I would say that once people are engaged in a in a proper financial plan, and, once you and they're the plan. and they're and yeah. they're. I mean, when I say engaged, I mean they understand what the, you know all the goals or asset allocation, what the strategies are we're using. They tend to be a little less of this type mm-hmm. of response. But in this case, the individual hasn't really been engaged in the process as much, right. and um, <clears throat> you know, as they're getting closer to retirement, they begin to think more. And I think we're. We're, there is a, a mentality, too, that as financial planners, that we somehow have a crystal ball and can make changes to their portfolio that are going to enhance their return mm-hmm. in the short term. In other right. words, we yeah. somehow know what Trump is going to do and the mm-hmm. impact on the various investments they've got. Therefore, we should be getting out of one investment and into another investment based on the economic climate right. and where things are heading. And the news. As the news. Yeah, you got it. <clears throat> responding got it. to these daily news. And the, the truth is that over the years, what we've learned is that those who have been successful and built wealth are the ones that have a understood and who created an asset allocation model, a plan mm-hmm. around their investment strategy, and then stick to it through thick Let and thin. Go, yeah. And it's kind of funny, actually, just on that note, I, I did actually get a crystal ball because of that. <laughs> it's sitting in my office. <laughs> Clients get to see it. I actually encourage them to try to use it themselves. Wait, let me turn it on for you. It gets cleaned every night. <laughs> it was actually blessed by a witch, per, actually. Uh, so it, it's supposed to be authentic. I haven't figured out how to use this, but I'm very happy for anybody to come and Any try it out. clients, welcome to use it. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if that Available fails, for loan. Yeah. there's a whole lot of other crystal ball mentalities. And one was called technical analysis. And this was about way back in my securities course back in 1985. And technical analysis was all these different phrases of sell in May and go away. Mm-hmm. Okay, you sell all your stocks in May and you go away and maybe come back in November. Right now, it's a very popular time. They call it the Christmas rally. But if it doesn't rally, they don't talk about it. Mm. Um, there's another one, something like the the blue moon. There's all these different technical analysis. The 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 shoulders head and shoulder. Mm. You look at the charts and you say, okay, then it goes back up. It it, it always works until it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they never talk about when it doesn't work. It's kind of interesting. In fact, I've even looked at people that write books. And this one person written five different books talking about the doom of the market. Mm. He guessed it right in 1987. The next four books were wrong. But he always goes back with his new book. I guess this right back in 97. Now's yeah. the time to listen to me. Yeah. But if you actually look at the other books, he got them wrong. So quite interesting. At the end of the day, value investing looks at the ratios. It's very, it's very methodical. They look at the price-earnings ratio. For example, right now, a price-earnings ratio, for example, is the price of the stock divided by the earnings. So if the price of the stock is $10 a share, it makes a dollar a share in the year, that would be a price-earnings ratio of 10, mm-hmm. okay? Amazon currently is at 97. That's considered quite high. If you look at something like Disney, it's at 15. Canopy, on the other hand, doesn't have earnings, so mm-hmm. it's not even applicable. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the ratios. They have a whole lot of slew of ratios. Value investing is, is boring. They quite often 
don't get the uptick of the higher risk type things because they don't have earnings yet. Okay, like the wheat stocks are a good example. So Ben Graham is uh, kind of Warren Buffett's protege. And uh, they've used investments with this, basically at the end of the day, value investing was looking at the low probability of permanent loss of capital with limited downside without sacrificing the upside. And that really does take into account value investing. My personal um, recommendation, don't just buy value. Mm -hmm. Buy growth investing, buy value investing, buy small companies, buy large. Diversification, proper diversification without a lot of overlap is the best way to shield yourself from risk. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, diversification is boring. People don't even like diversification when the markets are going soaring up. They love diversification when the markets are dropping. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny, greed kicks in. I had a few in the summers and here we are. They're not calling me now, but in the summer, the market, the the growth stocks were doing so well. Why don't we have more in the growth area? Like, you know, again, the Amazons and the Netflix of, of the world. It says, well, that's pretty risky. And uh, now I'm not getting the phone call saying, oh, thank you for not putting me in the growth stocks. At the end of the day... You should call them back. <laughs> say, hey, remember? Well, this is all comes back down to the value of advice. And so the value of advice is interesting. They've broken this up in two categories, age and income. So if you looked at people under 45 years old, and this is 210-year um, data. Okay, so it's eight years old data, but it wouldn't be too dissimilar now. People under 45, the average person without a financial planner has 25,000 versus one that has a financial planner has almost 80,000. 46 to 54 years of age, they would have 52,000 versus somebody that has a financial planner has 140,000, 2.7 times their net worth. A 55 to 64-year-old without a, without a financial planner has $46,000 <clears> versus $250,000 with a financial planner. And again, people over 65, they would have 66000 versus 272000 with a financial planner. In every age group, having a financial planner made a massive difference. In the worst case, it, it basically tripled your net worth. Mm. In the worst case. So then they said, okay, well, enough about age. Let's look at income. Maybe the guys with the higher income or the lower income do better without an advisor. Well, they looked at lower income, say 35,000 to 50,000 year employees. They would have 27,000 investments versus 125,000 investments, 4.6 times. Um, a 55 year old, sorry, 55,000 year to 70,000 a year employee would have 29,000 investments versus 200,000 if they have an advisor. 6.8 times, almost sevenfold having your net worth increase because of, an, of proper advice. 70,000 to the 100,000 market, they would have 44,000 versus 165,000. This is the interesting one also. Oh, well, there's, these guys are making over 100,000 a year. They can figure it out. They're smart people. Well, they do have more money. They, without an advisor, they had 138,000. With an advisor, they had 214,000. So almost another 80 some odd thousand dollars more, about 1.6 times. That was the lowest ratio mm. of, of increase. But still, who wouldn't want 1.6 times your net worth? So it really doesn't matter whether it's age or income. Um, either way, getting proper financial advice. And again, nowhere in here does do fees even come into it. Yeah. This whole thing about, it's, yeah. it's totally irrelevant. This whole, there's some commercials, you know, a 30 year retirement going to fees. This is basically showing that, that this is a lot of crap. Yeah. 
Because if Is that he, the one with the lady holding her baby? Yeah, that's a recent one. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I got to say they're effective. I want mine going to him and yeah. not you. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> That is no, these people are not licensed. They're answering a phone and doing, taking orders. When the market's tanking, will they be there to try to help you and make sure you make the right decisions? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to make your, your portfolio more efficient, uh, tax efficient by saying, well, should you go RSPs or TFSAs? I can tell you, no, 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 no. And this is why there's no advice there. They're simply looking at the cost of investing. And it's interesting, when, when you, if you're a, in a plane, you're saying, where's your favorite place to go, Scott? Uh, someplace warm. Okay. Name one. Um, uh, Hawaii. Hawaii. That's mm-hmm. a good one. That's a great one, actually. So you're in, you're in Hawaii and you take off from Toronto. You might get a direct flight, mm-hmm. but quite often you get to get land right. in Vancouver right. or San Francisco. And then you carry on to Hawaii. Quite a long flight. And I, have you ever wondered when they finally you finally land? I wonder how much the pilot got paid. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you care no, that much. No. Okay. You landed. You got there. It doesn't. It depends really... how bumpy it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually a good point. They they try to veer away from the bumpiness. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good point. They actually say, "Well, we were coming into some bumpy areas. We've got to go off course a bit right. and take you out of this bumpy bumpy area right now. It's still be a little bumpy, so keep your seatbelts fastened. It's going to be a little bit of a ride, but not as bumpy than if we just stayed in the same spot. Right. Okay, and this is so similar to investing. There's all sorts of bumps along the way. And we, Andy and I are always navigating, trying to minimize those bumps. We can't get away. And it's what nobody ever says at the end of the day, when you are financially independent, no difference in landing when you finally land on that tarmac with that airplane. Nobody says when you finally says, I'm financially independent. Geez, I wonder what Andy and Don got paid. It's the same thing. You're financially independent. We got you there. When they land the plane, lots of times people will clap. Do they do that when you leave the house? Well, thanks. I did get invited to a couple of retirement parties. So that's a, that's as biggest uh, clap. And you know what? It's great. It's actually an honor to be part of those groups. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call and leave a message right now. They will return your call later at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about retiring with your mortgage. More and more doing this. I know. Why? Um, (laughs) That's a good question. Can you help me? Or just uh, helping I, the kids? Is it is it because yeah. people are retiring earlier, or buying uh, more house? Well, I think Don hit it on the on on, on the nose too. Is a, one of the one of the issues we've seen crop up is the or the the need to help adult children or mm. adult children get into the housing market over right. the last decade mm. has pretty much either forced people to not pay off their own mortgage or to go back and borrow even against their home in the form of a home equity line of credit to provide those funds. And now they're heading into retirement and still hanging on to some debt. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I guess the, this phenomena, we've seen it happening more and more over the last decade where people are retiring or heading into retirement with a mortgage and a mortgage payment. 
And, you know, I just, I met with somebody last week and, and the comment, and I think I can't do the exact quote, but basically they said, if I just didn't have these mortgage payments, yeah. we could be doing just fine. And it just struck me how critical that is in terms of our, you know, our capacity to enjoy retirement and being able to leave your job and feel you're ready to retire. Mm -hmm. There's just so many other elements to it to figure out how to create that comfortable and confident retirement. And are most falling into this trap because they are giving the inheritance inheritance out early. They're giving it to the You know, kids. in a way you're you, you, I guess you could call it that, right? Oh. If you're if you're giving your children money today to help them get into the real estate market or to help them pay off debts or to help them uh, sustain their lifestyle, um, you just have to be very very careful how is that impacting your own retirement. Mm. And it's difficult for a lot of times for parents to say no. Uh, you know, and, and I get that. And there's, there are always going to be situations where you can't say no, if there's a health crisis, you know, you're going to want to help your kids and, and get them through any kind of medical condition or situation so that they can get back on their feet. Um, but on the other hand, we have, you know, parents that have just fallen into the trap or routine of yeah. giving and without really, and I think they feel a little trapped sometimes into yeah. how to say no. Yeah. And uh, so one thing about having a, a, a solid financial plan and a solid retirement plan is that you can then outline or we can outline to you, what are the assets that you're going to need for your own retirement and your own lifestyle? And what are the assets that might be available to be able to gift if you feel you have to do that now? Mm -hmm. And then if you've reached a limit, you can talk to your kids and say, you know, your mom and I, your dad and I have, have worked out our own retirement plan. And we know, you know, we've saved hard, but we don't have a lot of extra. We have enough to maybe help you guys do a few things or help you out to this amount. But beyond that, it's going to impact our own retirement if uh -huh. we do anything else. And um, so, you know, if you have a rationale to be able to come back to them and say, here's why mm -hmm. we can't do more. And I can't afford it is probably a good rationale. I can't afford yeah, it. That's a really good <laughs> The bottom line is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do do you really want to, this would impact our own retirement and our own retirement goals. We've worked for 40 years. We've worked for 45 years. You yeah. know, it's our time, yeah. you know, to yeah. a large extent. And so a lot of times there are solutions then. And what we want to try and help people do is come up with a plan to retire that debt as quickly as possible. So it might be a home equity line of credit. It might be a mortgage. One thing we'll look at is, do you have assets that you're hanging on to that maybe you aren't using as much anymore, mm -hmm. or your 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 focus has changed? Um, you know, a situation where I saw a situation where a client had a boat. Mm -hmm. uh, there was another where somebody had an RV. You know, and they had during the sort of go-go years they were using it, mm -hmm. and it was time where the, we, they realized that they weren't using it that often. Mm -hmm. So instead of just sitting there, well, maybe we will, maybe we will. A lot of st good strategy is. Put it on the blocks for uh, a year and then see how much you miss it. Yeah. You know, put it away, put it into storage, winterize it, whatever it is for a year. Come back in the year and say, you know what, did we really miss it that much? And then, of course, all the costs associated with maintaining the recreation vehicles or boats, et cetera. So then came the time maybe we can sell that and use the proceeds to pay down some debt. Mm -hmm. And that's going to set you up for a much better retirement. <clears throat> now, a lot of times people are just paying interest only. 
And with interest rates rising over the last year and a half, you know, almost a full percent, that pinch is getting more and more and we're starting to feel it. So the sense of urgency around getting a handle on your debt is becoming more and more prevalent as interest rates rise. So how do we get rid of that? How do we start to pay, make principal payments to get this thing retired as well? Again, the bottom line is you need a plan. And, and you know, for so many people, I, you know, I ask the question, is your current financial planner asking you these questions? Yeah. Are they coming up with a strategy? You know, if you're just getting your mortgage through a mortgage broker because that's the best rate ever, but you're not getting any advice in terms of how to pay down or a plan around actually paying down your mortgage and getting yeah. rid of debt, then you know you're not advancing and yeah. creating a confident retirement. And again, that comes to that whole <clears throat> net worth multiplier by having a planner versus not. All the little oh. things add up. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and the other, and, and, and this all leads into the whole, the biggest concern that a lot of people have is running out of money. And you know, today we we talk about longevity, and really the question: How much can I spend? And we sort of break it down and create a plan around this as well. But what we want to do is, again, create a plan where you have a confident retirement about knowing that I'm not going to run out of money. And we break it down into what we would call fixed costs, your variable costs, and your luxury costs. Mm -hmm. Luxury costs are the fun items, the things that everybody wants to do and you can do. But understanding what your fixed costs are and what are you going to use to pay for those. So it might be your Canada pension plan, your old age security, a pension from work. Those, all of those types of income are 100% tax, meaning they're every dollar is included in your income, you're going to pay tax on it. But that's a basis of income that will last for your life. So fixed costs, if you can cover all of those with that pool of income, fantastic. Then your variable costs, things that might happen, it could be anything from replacing a car to doing some other things, those can come from a RIF or a non-registered account. And finally, your luxury items can come from a non-taxable amount like a TFSA, a universal life, or using life insurance as collateral. So you've got to have a plan. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165, the number to call. Leave a message. They will return your call. And take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, going to talk about tax-free gifts to... Employees. employees. Yes. I know Andy started the show today with it's a time for giving and we're going to I wonder end. if CHML is listening in. Yes. Yeah. No, no kidding. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Um, hopefully, and we're going to end with giving here and it's giving to employees. And it's kind of interesting. There's so many people that will say, you know what? I'm going to give you a check of $400 and they're going to be thankful for that check, but it's taxable. Now, it's still a write-off to the employer because it's anytime you give any, you know, you give a uh, a check or, or, or a salary to an employee. It's a tax deduction to the employer, taxable to the employee. But is there a way to give the employee $400 without them paying tax on it? Mm-hmm. And there is. In fact, you can actually give $500 and that's including taxes. Okay. So that's after HST. Now, does the company still get the write-off for The that? company still gets the write-off. Right. It's a win-win. Wow. Is it ever? You do have to put a tiny bit of effort in which goes back to the giving part that Andy talked about. If you're going to start uh, giving some of your time, this might be a little bit of time, but not much. I'm talking about enough time to put a credit card number together. Mm-hmm. That's about it. So what you can do is instead of giving them money, just give them an item. 
So perfect example. Right now, if you gave $500 to your assistant or uh, some employee and just gave them a check, they would have to pay, let's say they're, they make under 70000 a year to somewhere between forty-five and seventy. They would pay 30% tax on that. And therefore, they would pay $150 in income tax. They would net $350. So they wanted to buy an iPad. The iPad all in cost $500. Mm-hmm. Well, now they can't afford an iPad because they only got three fifty after yeah. tax. So they either don't get the iPad or they buy the iPad and they have to come up with another 150 bucks, which means they either put it on their credit card or they happen to have the extra money. Or they, like I said, either they go into debt or they have the extra money. What if the employer went out and bought them the iPad and paid for it themselves? Gave the iPad to the employee. It is now a tax-free gift. They get the full $500 worth of value. Okay, it can be anything under $500. Yeah. The f- 500 is the upper limit. If it including goes including tax, right? Including tax. Yeah. If it goes 501 cent, it's now a taxable benefit. Right. But if it's 500 or less, it's tax free to the employee. Question I got on that right away was about uh, gift cards. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, gift cards are right. The next thing there is what doesn't qualify. Okay. And gift cards do not qualify. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything that can be converted to like cash. cash. They're yes. like cash, yeah. really. Right. Okay. And same with uh, if you give stocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, here's a couple stocks in my company. Taxable benefit. It can be converted to cash easily. So it has to be in an actual item. Okay. Um, and again, you can't have them go by and then you pay them back. Right. Okay. Because then again, you the paper trail shows right. them you giving them money. Right. You right. actually have to put your credit card on the line or your check on the line to buy the gift. Mm. So it has to show that. Now, there's things that don't do not um, really worry about during the year. You don't have to worry about these items. Let's say you have a party, and the party is less than hundred dollars per person. Now, to be honest, they probably don't check it that close if it was $120 a person. Right. Okay, I hope nobody from CR is listening. But anyway, it's unlikely any social kind of gifts, they don't charge. So if you had 20 employees, $2,000 is your budget, yep. you're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You go to a, a holiday party, Christmas party, what have you, and it, you know it's 75 bucks an employee, doesn't even matter. It doesn't even come into the equation. It doesn't use up any of your $500. Um, value, valueless items don't count either. Now, what's a valueless item? Well, it's kind of, <laughs> there's so many that if you change jobs a lot, and my, my buddy that we were talking, he's on his 10th job. Yeah. Not because he's not employable. He's highly employable. That's probably the opposite. Everybody wants him to work for, for that company. He would have 10 different company sh- T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to say staplers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or mugs. Mugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something with the company logo on it. Valueless item, yeah. okay, does not count into that five hundred dollars. So if they gave you, uh, you know, been there for five years, ten years, they give you the prize. That um, if it's just a prize with a logo on it or, or something very minor, um, that would not qualify. But sometimes you can take it and like buy a new barbecue, buy you know, you can buy from a catalog. Um, if it's dollars, again, it's it's taxable to you. Right. If it was a barbecue, now there's a really good example. Let's say it was a five-year anniversary. Right. Here's the other one. It's kind of interesting, five or 10 years, because every five years, you can have a recognition of long-term service award. Yeah. And that award is another $500. Hmm. So if you add that to the $500 gift- Ooh, top it up. You can top it up. And actually, every five bucks. years, do a $1,000 gift. Now, not sure what barbecue you're looking for, Scott. 
<laughs> well, if uh, you're spending five hundred bucks, it'll probably only last you about five years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true enough. Maybe just get one of those smokers. Just yeah. So. Uh. yeah, an accessory. <laughs> so maybe you say, "Oh, you mind giving me buying the extra part of the barbecue in right. January first? Right, <laughs> put it into the next year. <laughs> buy, buy me the tank, um, <laughs> whatever it is. At the end of the day, what a great way. See what you're doing in this case." is you're giving not only a great gift, which they will cherish. This is actually a game, too. Because if you say, okay, you go try to figure out something that all-in costs less than $500, they are now saying, wow, it's like a shopping spree. Mm. They are out there trying to figure out what they want. So that's part of the game. And then they get it knowing they don't have to pay for this. Mm -hmm. Their employer is paying for this. And they'll remember that gift over a check any day. Any day, they'll always remember the gift. And because they were wishing for a check instead? <laughs> no, no they, <laughs> they wanted, they're oh, going to yeah. buy it anyway. Remember, I was hoping I was going to get a check that year. I got a damn rusty got, barbecue. But <laughs> they picked it out. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the best gifts, I swear, the best, the, the best gifts are the one you pick out yourself. Yeah, that's true. Uh, is that it? Oh, that is it. All right. Yeah. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button or call and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a Thanks, great everybody. Happy shopping. Happy holidays, everyone.